Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Oye, mi gente, ¿cómo estamos? It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hella Latino. Today, I'm talking to Miss PR Queen, Melissa Bella Williamson. She's an internationally recognized and accredited public relations strategist with specialties in nonprofit, education, diversity, equity, inclusion, and Hispanic Latino areas. Today, she serves clients as the chief communication architect of her own boutique firm, MVW Communications, the first national PRSA columnist to ever focus on the Hispanic Latino market. She hosts a communication industry focused podcast, the Smart Talk series, and recently wrote a book called Smart Talk Public Relations Essentials All Pros Should Know. She's here to educate Latinos on how to break into the industry as well as educate folks on how to effectively market to our community. Let's hear more about her story. I think my cafecito oh. is my favorite part of this. <laughs> did I see PR Queen? Yes, you did. So I'm such a fan of the industry. I made my own pro gear line of items. And so, yeah, PR Queen had to rep. PR Queen. Well, welcome, PR Queen, to Hello Latina and welcome to the space. Melissa, I'm honestly, I've been looking forward to this because I think I shared with you, I was a PR major and... I did not see any type of representation in the PR industry, and that's why I actually left the industry. So I'm excited to have you here because you are a big proponent of representation in the PR world, PR queen, PR reina. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Odalise. I'm so excited to be on this platform and share this mic with you. I think you're absolutely hit that mark of what drives me forward to do this very scary thing of, of doing interviews and stepping in front of the stage, right? In public relations, sometimes we're back of the house, we're helping other brands and people get their moments in the spotlight and share their stories. And I've just been compelled to share mine because of, of Latinas like you, Latinos who don't feel like they are a fit in public relations or professional communication. And that's wrong. And we're here to talk about that. Let's talk about it. Before we do, Melissa, I want to ask you the first question I always start this conversations with. How do you identify and why? Yeah, I've listened to your podcast and I'm such a big fan of the work you're doing here. And in terms of ethnicity and culture, absolutely, I would say I identify as a Latina. But when it gets down to when people ask you, especially where they're from other groups, what are you, right? It's a big question. I think everyone gets asked, what do you do and what are you? <laughs> I'll say sometimes Hispanic or I'll say Latina. And I think it depends for me on the audience when I, how I pick my terminology, because I'm sensitive to just really looking for a connection point and their understanding and, and then our relationship, potential relationship together. So as a Latina, I think I choose that first 
because I'm absolutely very in touch with my feminine side and my roles and identity points as a woman and a mother and a sister, right? Mm -hmm. And so I love the power behind Latina and that unifying presence with my Latina sisters in that space. And then in terms of Hispanic, well, I come from San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And San Antonio, Texas is said to be the largest Hispanic majority city in the United States. So it's really multi-layered, just like everything in the Latino culture about what all this means. But I will say for my understanding and our audience understanding is that I do a lot of research about the Hispanic and Latino communities and culture and write on the subject and talk on the subject. So as far as the term Hispanic, that's related to having roots and ties to Spanish speaking countries. And in um, San Antonio, a lot of us have our closest ties to Mexico. So that's part of me kind of sharing my closeness with the Mexican culture and Mexico as a country and, and my culture in that space. I love how intentional you are about how you identify. I think it's uh, it's very beautiful. And I love that you mentioned you're from San Antonio, Texas, because I always say that identity is sometimes shaped by the environment that we grow up in and the experiences that we have. And all of it adds to like how we identify, right? And I've been to San Antonio and yes, I see so many Latinos and I'm always like, hey, (laughs) and it's very, right. It's very beautiful. And I want to ask you, so did you grow up in San Antonio? Where did that talk to me about little Melissa running around and like, how did you make sense of Latinidad? Was it something that was never a question like you're Latina or was it something that you had to kind of grow closer to? I think there has been an intentionality, I love that word, a thoughtfulness about embracing the culture as I've grown up in my adult years, and particularly in my professional years. Because as a little Melissa growing up here in San Antonio, you when you're part of a majority, it doesn't matter what that group sense is, right? Sometimes you don't really understand your culture because it's just what everybody is. And I remember one of the turning points for me as a little girl was I was in elementary school. I remember that far. And I ran up to a little girl and we we're having a conversation. And I we were talking about what are you? And I said, oh, you're Hispanic. And she said, I'm not Hispanic. And I said, you have brown hair. So you're Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And she just looked horrified. And she's, I am not Hispanic. And I had no concept that anyone with brown hair was not Hispanic Mm. growing up. Right. So that they could have been any other race or ethnicity. I had no clue. And and even now as adults in this space, we are still trying to untangle like race versus ethnicity and what the government has said things are versus how we understand things are. And I think that's the grace I bring to these conversations is, well, let's just talk about how you understand things, Mm -hmm. right? And then we find the language together, how to move forward. But yeah, as a little girl and and a part of a Hispanic majority culture, um, didn't really understand the differences and the nuances there. But I will tell you, I know your most recent guest, Antonio, I was listening to that conversation and he's from another part of Texas. It doesn't really matter. It's like, you're San Antonio. My mom was raised in McAllen, Texas, and my biological dad is from there as well. I know a lot more of my mom's history than my biological dad, unfortunately, because he didn't really stick around very long as I was young. But with my mom, that's kind of also seen as a border town, so close to Mexico, but a real identity, like friction and shift. I think when you're so close to the other country, 
are you American enough? Are you Mexican enough? Are you right? Whatever that enoughness, I know we all struggle with that, but I think when you're so close to it, you really feel that. So colorism was very big in South Texas. It's still big in our community in different ways. And I think a lot of people from outside the culture are, are surprised by that too. So for me, I had to really learn about it because kind of like Antonio's family, like it wasn't necessarily a positive thing to identify as having Mexican roots or being from Mexico or being Hispanic or Latino, right? And I'll still say these days it ebbs and flows. Um, depending on how we're talking about immigration, there's been very clear times in my life where it was everything was okay. We're the mainstream here in San Antonio and people see us in white collar jobs and some of the stereotypes are exactly put on us. And then there's other times where, wow, affiliation is really uncomfortable. So I think a lot of us have learned to try to, in the most positive state, acculturate to all of that and say, I've got to understand for me, I've learned to be a chameleon and go, mm, my main goal is to connect with people. So how do I need to do that? What might I need to change? And I've learned to be okay with that. What might I need to shift a little bit so that we can get past any confusion, which may lead to biases and awkward moments, and then people just not wanting to relate to you or work with you? Mm -hmm. How can we just get over these humps, right? So it's been an interesting dynamic. And to this day, you had mentioned geography. That's a big part of our identity. I would say professionally, we, we talked about representation. And as I kind of grow in stature in the public relations community, I still feel, hey, if I was from Chicago or if I was based in New York or D.C., I think I'd be a bigger deal. And that is really frustrating to me. Oh, like just where I live. Say more about that. And the brand perception. Yeah, the brand perception of the city, oh. right? Well, let's be frank. I think part of it is because it, the majority of, of residents in the city are Latino. And, and while we do have power in terms of majority, I would say voice, we don't always use that voice. We don't always strategically use that voice. And because we have such a big gap between our economic segments here in our city, a lot of lower income Latinos, we don't have the power that we could have. So mm. that's become part of my mission and understanding is if I had the capacity to go go get my education. And I had that privilege in ways that my parents didn't and generations before me didn't. I should do it. So whatever might hold us back in terms of, oh, I feel like an imposter or why me or I'm not good enough. I've just had to move through that and say, why not me? Because I, I can, mm -hmm. so I should. And I feel that responsibility. Who? So much. A whole lot. Right. <laughs> no, so much power in what you're saying. And I... I think the part that really kind of not surprises me, but just blows my mind a little bit is just because we just had Antonio, right? Talking about coming from a different part of Texas, his family's from Rio Grande, I think. And mm -hmm. I'm not too familiar with Texas, but just sure. learning you're from San Antonio. It's the majority, these border towns, how they feel like they need to be more American, like the movie Selena, right? More American than the Americans, yeah. more Mexican than the Mexicans. And then, meeting people from different areas like Austin and Dallas and like just realizing that even in this one state, there's so many different sub experiences that happens depending where you're growing up in. And I recently had an interaction with someone who's also from San Diego 
grew up here, but had a very different experience of San Diego than I did. And it was kind of an mm. interesting, oh, that's not my experience. And I think she was saying something like, it's not diverse at all. There's only white and there's Mexican mm. and there's nothing else. And it's not a, pl-. and I was like, where did you grow up? <laughs> yeah. And she told me a different city in San Diego. And I'm like, ah, okay, that makes sense. I grew up in this part of town. So my experience mm. in San Diego was very different. And so we just had this really interesting conversation on a different experience that we both shared coming from the same place. But yeah, so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Well, they talk about, I know in our community too, because that economic divide is so concerning is the best word for it, right? We've got a lot of generations, they call it that cycles of generational poverty. Mm. And a lot of the reason I do my work and I appreciate the work that you're doing is because when we highlight voices and people that we can relate to, because they had a nonlinear path into their careers, because they may be the first to go to college in their family or try a different line of work, we're really the pioneers in a lot of places and spaces as Latinos. Mm. And our lived experiences, even by zip code, can really shape the way we see the world. But it's, I think, our work and our best work to broaden those perspectives mm. and keep evolving and learning so that we can bring others with us. And so that's part of a, a big part of what drives me today and why I ended up writing my book on PR, particularly to encourage more aspiring students and people of color and journalists of color, particularly Latinos, hopefully to join into the industry because I feel like we're wired for the work, but we don't feel necessarily invited in. Mm. And through the, all the work that I've been doing, I see that's a big deal in our space is that we, I call it the invitation theory in my book. Like we, it's like when you say, I'm having a party, I'm having dinner at my house. And the first question people ask you is, who's all going, right? right? <laughs> who's coming? <laughs> and then like, I, you were invited. It does not matter who else is going and whether or not you're a fit. Yeah. And if we peel back all those layers, that's exactly what people are asking. Do I belong at that table? Do I belong in this space? Mm. And so part of it, I think in our lives is we have to start owning the fact that maybe no one's going to invite us. And maybe we have to raise our own hand or maybe we need to walk in the door ourselves, right? Mm. And that's a lot. And I think sometimes it's heavier than other groups and other peers I have in the industry. But I think accepting it and working with that current is going to help us propel forward a little bit faster. Oh, you that brings you to this next chapter of Melissa's story <laughs> of going to school and being in PR And I need to tell you this story because it's so funny and I'm so curious how you even learned about PR. But I was applying to school after really feeling like school wasn't for me because it was so expensive. And I had a brother who at the time was going to San Jose State and he tells me, oh my gosh, please do not go to school. You have the opportunity to go to school. You should go to school. And I'm like, but it's so expensive. I don't have scholarships. I don't have grants. I've I wasn't a straight A student and I had to study hard to get my A's. Well, I feel like he was, my brother was very blessed. He was just, he's too smart for his own good, naturally. And so he tells me, just apply, just try to get in the door. And I tell him, I'm like, Patrick, I don't even know what I want to major in. I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. Quien sabe, who knows? 
And he tells me, you know what? I know some friends that are studying this thing called public relations and they're kind of like you. They like to talk a lot and they like to write and I don't know, just try it. And I'm like, okay. So I thank him for going to school and getting into the PR PR major. But I remember going in and not knowing a thing about public relations. And everyone around me is talking about, I want to be the next Samantha from What's Sex in the City? And I'm like... Who is that? And I <laughs> I was very lost. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Someone told me they like were inspired to be a PR major because of a book. And I was very lost mm-hmm. that whole time. And that's how I landed in PR. So I'm curious from your perspective, how did this PR story begin for you? Oh, just you had better focus and vision than I did. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, yeah. My whole story about how I got into PR is one that I share so much because it the more people I talk to, particularly pros of color, the more I realize most of us got into our careers, not because we started with the major, we knew what we wanted to do and we got the job right after. It's a very nonlinear. It was very zigzag path into how we we are today. But I think we need to open up our mind to the fact that's kind of how we live life too, right? I mean, there's no point A to B to C and it's all smooth either. There's ups and downs and backs and forths and and you learn about yourself that way. So I think if we think of every opportunity as a stepping stone, we'll be a little more open to our growth. But all that to say is when I was in college, so it, it, it was actually, I can see so much now and in part of it kind of, I feel bad about it, right? Mm-hmm. I could have went to a large university. I was accepted into Texas A&M. I was accepted into UT Austin and I was terrified to go to a big school. Mm-hmm. I was the first in my family to go after a bachelor's degree. My mother was a non-traditional student when I was growing up. I was probably in about fifth or sixth grade and she had been a cashier at a grocery store for 22 years, Mm. kept the same job and the same schedule because one, at least she was inside. And two, it was a steady schedule that she could get home in time for uh, about when the kids got out of school. And she had five kids. So I was one of five right Mm. in the middle, first girl. (laughs) And I remember her going to school and it was so hard on her. She worked full time and she went to school to become a dental hygienist. And that was an associate's degree back in the day. But there was times where she had to take me to night classes with her. There were times where I had to sit in the library all day on a Saturday while she studied. And I was one of the five who could actually go and look through the books and sit still (laughs) and hang out with her, right? Let her focus. But that did so much for me. And those stories when the non-traditional students are kind of ashamed that, oh, I should have went right after high school. No, they can be so inspiring to your children and your family because while it was hard for me as a child, and we're all selfish as kids, right? I got used to the idea that college was for me and I could go to college. And I spent so much time around those books that what I ended up becoming excellent at was reading and writing and literature and creative thinking and creative writing. So by the time I finished high school, um, I was really struggling in middle school. And uh, one teacher saw something in me in eighth grade, was not really nice to me all year, but right when they were promoting us into ninth, she signed me up for English honors. 
And that changed my whole life, that little piece of intervention that she said, you're a good writer. I see something in you. I think you can work harder. And when I got into that honors class, environment's everything, right? We talked about geography, but even in the environment you work in can inspire you or can really bring you down or school too for us and our kids. And when I was in the honors environment, I was like, (gasps) I was so charged up and I got very competitive about my grades and wanting to think harder and do better than my peers. And I realized I was bored in middle school in the general classes. I needed to be in the honors classes. I was never identified as gifted and talented, but damn it, the rest of my career, I've shown that I was, right? Yes, ma'am. So yeah, so sometimes that's part of the lesson is that we've got to advocate for ourselves because when I was in that honors class, I said, no, I want to be in all honors. Like those are my people. Like these, this is the level I want to be on. So I went to the counselor's office and I said, I want you to put me in all honors. And I remember she said, well, you only were recommended for one. I'm like, I can do it. Put me in all honors. And so they did. And I took off from there. And so I've been that high flyer, high achiever since then. So I think that's things that we need to really watch about ourselves and our families because that propelled me into good grades and being the top 10% of my high school. I started late, but I ended strong. And then I got into college and And really, I followed some friends into a small private university here in San Antonio because I was too scared to go to the large universities. I was scared to move away from home. I didn't necessarily have that kind of encouragement, right? And I think part of that professionally is very prevalent in the Latino cultures, this collectivist culture. It's the family first, our interconnectedness, while it can make us so great at a job like public relations, it can hold us back from trying and leaving the nest and trying different things and and being brave sometimes because we want to just keep homeostasis at home, right? So I followed some friends and the next, it took me four and a half years to get my bachelor's while I was working. And the next four and a half years, I was panicked. I was at a small private university. I was studying English communication honors, English communication arts. Why? Because someone told me I was good at writing and I had started uh, publishing poetry and photography in high school. So these creative arts were awesome, but they don't translate into a sustainable job, especially when you have a private school loan coming after you. So it wasn't until my last semester that I learned about public relations and really considered it as a career field. And it was because a student in class presented her ideal career as being in PR. And all I could come up with after years of being in career services and trying to figure out what I was going to do with these passions was, well, I think I could be an advertising copywriter. But in San Antonio, we're not known for huge, big advertising firms here. We had some, and a lot of them were Latino focused. But, you know, that wasn't likely, right? And so when I learned about PR and I learned about, it felt like it had a little more purpose and soul, and maybe I could make some differences in the world in a positive way. And it seemed a broader career discipline that I could do a lot of things with it, event planning, like Samantha from Sex in the City, right? (laughs) Or working with journalists and telling stories. And I thought, well, maybe I could help people who've never had their chance to tell their story, tell some stories. And so that's how I learned about it. But I still had to take my first job out of college as a grant writer, right? When I tell students all the time, get any communication type job you can. Mm. Don't think you're going to get that dream job out of college. Because I think a lot of first-gen college graduates 
you've been sold on this American dream. You've been sold on this idea that college is everything. You get that degree, and, but there's no job necessarily waiting for you. And so you have to really start mapping your way towards designing that career you want. And so I knew I had an idea. I wanted to get in PR, but I took a grant writing job so I could start paying off my loans. But I kept telling everyone I knew because someone had gave me that advice. Like, just tell everyone where you want to go and maybe somebody will know somebody. So the power of referrals and network is really big. And it's huge in our community, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was working, I was finishing up my part-time college job at the gym. I went through a huge weight loss journey, and that's in the book too. As a college student, I lost 100 pounds versus gain the freshman whatever as part of my journey. Part of that was so that I could be taken seriously professionally and I could be heard better without bias around weight, mm. right? And so- as I was doing that, I, I talked to the spin instructor and he said, so where are you going to work? I'm, I'm going to work at this small nonprofit and do grant writing, but I really want to work in PR. I, I have no idea how to get there. I don't know anyone who does it. There was an older white man who would come into the, the gym and leave the PRSA Strategies and Tactics magazine on the magazine rack. And I would pick it up and read it. And I'm like, wow, these people are amazing. But 20 years later, I write for that magazine. It's incredible. Wow. But... I know, but I literally didn't know anything about it except for what I was reading. And, and I just mentioned the spin instructor. He said, oh, my wife, she owns a PR firm. You should talk to her. You could probably freelance for her. What do you, yeah. What's freelance? Okay. So What's I, I talked to her. <laughs> What's freelancing or moonlighting, right? Now we know so much more about that with our side gig economy. And, and I'm so happy for people that they can understand how to be a contractor and start getting work experience that way. But I really didn't. So I ended up moonlighting or at night and on my breaks and weekends, I would work for this PR agency that focused on the Hispanic market. And full time Monday through Friday, I would work at the grant writing job. And within two months, they said, would you, do you want to come over to the agency full time? You're doing a great job. And I'm like, sure. But I still knew very little about PR. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even writing in the right style of PR, <laughs> which is the AP style or Associated Press style. So I had to audit a college class as a college graduate to learn the writing. So there was still a lot of makeup I've done my whole career, which has kept me so close to our trade associations like the Public Relations Society of America. But it helped me get mentors and, and make allies. And I've worked to make myself feel like I belong and fit. And that's just something I think I'll continue to have to do. And we all do at times. I am so curious because I have this vivid memory. My senior year, everyone's applying for jobs and they're getting at the top agencies like Edelman and Text wow. 100. And I'm like, okay, we'll see where <laughs> I go. And I remember vividly this magazine that was in our classroom and it said the face of PR. And I open the book and I see this white woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, skinny, and they said, this is the face and future of PR. And I'm looking at that picture and I'm like, well, I don't look like that at all. I have brown hair, brown eyes. I am not skinny. <laughs> She's a thick mommy. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, where is there space for me? And up until that point, I think I didn't really think about representation, DNI. Like I didn't think about that in school. It was just you're in school. And I think that was the first moment I really started thinking about 
oh, I actually haven't seen anyone who is Latino, Latina, come into my class and talk about PR. Everyone I've seen has been a white woman, a white man, an older white man, an older white woman. And so it was the first moment I was really thinking about, is this what I want to do? But I ignored it. And then I ended up going into an agency and I went into the agency and I was I think one of two Latinos in in the whole company and the other Latina, I didn't know she was Latina because she had blonde eyes, blonde eyes, blonde, blue eyes and blonde hair. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you were from Argentina. She was somewhere from South America. Mm -hmm. And we just had a little bonding moment. But other than that, I would look around and I, no one looked like me. And it was a really hard environment to be in. And again, I wasn't thinking necessarily about representation matters. I think it was just the feeling, like you said, it felt like I wasn't, I was a sore thumb. I didn't belong in the party. And I was like, okay, this is not what I want. And I ended up leaving. And I ended up leaving the industry as a whole. I'm like, okay, this is just not for me. So I'm curious from your perspective, being in San Antonio and you're surrounded by, I mean, you're working at an agency that's for Latinos, highlighting Latino brands. Like, how has your experience in PR shifted from working in that space and meeting other people from these different spaces, like those bigger PR agencies that everyone wants to work at or meeting other folks in the industry that may not look like you? How do you navigate representation in the industry? Yeah, I so painful and I'm so sad that you lost that your place in PR but you're doing the work now oh, right yeah. so public relations is just <laughs> about people relationships and so I believe everyone has responsibilities in PR and we all perform it whether we understand or realize it or not and so that's really the heart of what I'm trying to share and what I try to tell especially young people so that I prepare them for walking into the rooms where they may be the only person like them, whether that's hair texture or skin color or background or where they're from or whatever that is that makes them feel like they're othered, that they have to do that work themselves to say, I'm not a token, I'm a representative, right? And if I do good work here, I can make a seat for somebody else or I can build my own table mm. like I've done with my business where it's very natural for me to attract students of color, people of color to come work with me. In fact, I have to work consciously to say, am I, is my team diverse enough, right? Because we tend to start becoming more Latino, Latina, just because people, birds of a feather, feather birds of a feather do flock together. And that's part of what I opened up my chapter on tailoring for multicultural groups and audiences on is that it's very human for us to want to be with people we're comfortable with and we're comfortable with people like us. So it's about doing the work to find where we connect mm. and have shared values that will help us overcome this perception of differences, right? Because we share a very common humanity. So it, it's kind of disheartening sometimes how we things get in our way. But making sure that we we do that work to make others feel like they belong and we belong, no matter what we see or what someone else says the face of PR is, is really important. And I think that's the work I'm doing 
Well, I think a common word for this work is like disruption, right? I'm trying to disrupt the industry. I'm like, I'm just trying to progress the conversation mm. and change the photos of who is something or who is not something. So yeah. early on in my work, I mean, I have to say, looking back now, maybe I wouldn't have had that first shot in PR if it wasn't a Hispanic focused agency, mm. right? If it was our oh, general yeah. full service, large, and in communication, the terms were general market which really means they try to create an avatar, English dominant, probably monolithic white type culture and community, and you don't have to change anything for them, like the same approach, right? Which is not who people in the US are today. We're more multiracial and cultural than ever. There's a lot more love going around no matter what you hear, right? We hear from extreme voices, mm. but there are a lot, most of us live in the middle for most things. And early in my work, it came out that if I have power doing this work, like I can decide who goes on camera. I can decide, hey, you know what? The most interesting story to tell in this organization that's celebrating its anniversary is the long-term employee who is a busser in the restaurant, not the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's going to be like this person has the most interesting profile or deserves the spotlight for all that they've done, or this nonprofit that really has something to offer without a bunch of red tape around it is making the most difference. Like we have that chance to kind of change the narrative. So working with journalists or creating the marketing materials, deciding and using real life people from the community in photos, in videos, like real life testimonials, those were like big wow aha moments for a lot of my employers when I started in this career in 2002, 2003. I didn't see them as that insightful, but I guess they were. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I worked at Big Brothers Big Sisters here in South Texas, one of the things I noticed right away was, hey, this word mentor, I don't think it's resonating with the men. And we need more big brothers, right? The word mentor felt very heavy. Like I would notice over time, like these men were more likely to become fathers than mentors mm. to kids outside their family. And I said, I'm not sure this word connects with people here in San Antonio. And so as I tested terms and I realized that really was a barrier, right? Mm. And the barriers were particularly with the Latino males and the men from the black community who we desperately needed. We had a lot of black little brothers looking for positive male mentors and role models, right? And as I broke it down, I put together this campaign called the Unsung Heroes Campaigns or Everyday Heroes Campaign. That's what it was, Everyday Heroes Campaign. And it was just like, you can be a mentor. And I realized I needed to do the work before I told anyone to sign up because they would ask me, well, are you a big sister? And in the very beginning of that job, I was like, oh, not yet, <laughs> right? Because I quickly was like, I better become one. Yeah. And when I did, the stories I could tell you about my little brother, Austin, and how the first time we took him just to eat at like an Italian restaurant that was sit down and waitstaff came to us, blew his mind. Mm. And how he learned about a positive, what a positive marriage could look like between me and my husband when he would hang around with us. We didn't do anything special with his kid. So as I told stories, it felt so much more relatable to people like, well, if you could fit it in your day and you don't seem that great, Melissa. I think I can do it, right? <laughs> um, and that's what it is too, is that's what representation is. So I said, we need to take photos. These stock photos from Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America don't look like us. Mm -hmm. I don't see one person that looks Latino at all. And that's the majority of our city. 
So how am I going to get more of them if they don't see themselves in this work? And the same thing. So we did a photo shoot with our real life, big brother, little brother, big sister, little brother, big sisters, little sister, big couples matches so that we had a diverse, just visual look offering for our marketing materials, for our PR materials and our recruitment materials. And it made a huge world of difference in terms of people seeing themselves and people on the billboard or literally knowing, hey, I know Homer and oh my God, he's not perfect. I can, if he can do it, I can do it. And so I think that's a big part of it. I ended up writing my book and trying the podcast of my own and trying so many things that I hear from peers are like, wow, that's huge. It's courageous. I'm like, well, when I got to know someone who did it that I thought, well, they can do it. I can do it. It's so powerful. And then the other part of it is, is actually like you're doing is sharing. Here's how I got here. Are the mistakes I made, mm. the very honest mistakes I made. So you can leapfrog right past those. Yeah. And here are the best practices from what really works. And I think that's so important in our community so that we can, a, a lot of our peers, and I've had that time, and I wonder if you have, where I'm like, gosh, right? If I was in a different color skin in a different city, what would I make financially, mm. right? How could I help my kids financially? Or well, where would I be, right? What opportunities might I have to travel more, to do this or that? And I had to just kind of settle myself and say, this is where you're at. You got to do the most with it, right? And then be a trailblazer. All of us should be trailblazers. And my kids behind me and, and everyone I talk to behind me will have a smoother path and go farther. But in some ways, we're going to be decades behind our, our peers who grew up with just a little more leverage than we did. Oh, Melissa, I always talk about, <laughs> I, I wish, I, I wonder what it would, I don't wish, I wonder what it would feel like to live life on easy mode where we don't have mm -hmm. to continuously navigate these uncharted territories and do it for not just ourselves, but for our families that are still here, for our future families. Like we're looking at everything past, future, present all at once and doing it for the very first time and feeling like there's this pressure to succeed. Like there's not room for error because one small error can set you back and you're already set back from the rest of your white counterparts or privileged counterparts or socioeconomic privileged counterparts, right? right? There's yeah. so many levels to it. And I always think about what does it feel like to live life on easy mode, to go back to your parents and say, listen, I don't have money right now. Can you give me some money or whatever that looks like and feels. And even just to have the knowledge, right, of like, how do you navigate this? There were so many moments in college where I'm like, how in the world do you do this? <laughs> how in the world do you navigate this and how do you navigate it correctly? And there's just no guidebook for being first generation. There's no rule book. And that was one of the many reasons I started this podcast because I'm like, what better way than to see other people who have been in your shoes are still in your shoes to guide you through different moments in your life, whether it's choosing a major, navigating college, navigating an industry, because it's so difficult. And like you said, you're navigating this for the first time. Like when you said mentor, I remember when I first heard that word, I'm like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand what mentor meant. And I signed up for all of these mentor programs that the PR school <laughs> offered. 
and I would meet people and I would have one coffee chat with them and then never speak to them again. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's what a mentor is. You just talk to someone that's very successful and they talk about themselves for 45 minutes and then (laughs) you get one question in there and then that's that. And I felt like it was just not my style. Like it just wasn't how I like to do things. It was so hard to sit there in a coffee chat, try to be professional and ask these professional questions. And then I remember I uh, started working for one of my favorite people, Renee Siegel. I worked with her for two years. She's a business owner, badass woman. And I didn't realize for the two and a half years that I worked with her, she was mentoring me every single day. But it wasn't the traditional way that I saw mentors look like and sound like. And when I found out, oh, mentor is just someone that helps you through these different moments, coaches you through these different moments. I started to look at people in my life like my mom. I was like, well, my mom was damn near my first mentor. She mentored me through a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize she was doing. And I, I always give her the credit of me being an entrepreneur now. I'm like, she was a hustler taking care of seven kids and working three jobs and always cooking and cleaning. I don't know how she did it, but she was my example of someone who just knew how to balance all of these different things in life. And she mentored me through all of those moments. And I don't, I didn't know what that word really meant and how to really internalize it and practice it. So I I love that you mentioned that. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that you're evaluating the use of it because I really want to, I think a takeaway, I hope for listeners is just think a little more strategically or thoughtfully about the words you use. And if it's not resonating, find another word, right? Um, Keep trying to break down the story for people because as you were saying that, I'm thinking, you know, so I, yeah, I rock my PR queen mug because I want to introduce more people. Although um, I do love it too, because some people are like, oh, you're Puerto Rican? Ah. <laughs> well, no, but hey, everyone can work in PR, right? And so I talk about that because I want to bring pride to the industry, elevate it, right? But in the same, my other favorite mug, the same way, says maestra. Oh. And that's like teacher. And I'm not teacher in the traditional, I'm in a classroom, K through 12 or college. And although I did some of that and that's hard work, (laughs) I love all my, all the teachers out there, but all of us can be teachers, right? Maestras, maestros is share what you know with somebody. One of the most humble people I know is Jose Luis Gonzalez and he's my handyman and he'll probably step into my home any minute now and help me with a flooring accident we had and to change it out. And every time I work with Mr. Gonzalez is how I call him to honor him, right? Because he's super humble, like almost too much, where it's a little painful, uh, a little self-deprecating. When I talk to Mr. Gonzalez, he always explains to me what he's going to do and why. And I told him, sir, you're a teacher. You're just a natural teacher. And he's, I'm not a teacher. Like I could never, like he's not smart enough, good enough and all that, right? And I'm like, you always make a point of helping me understand the process and what you're doing and why, which makes me a better consumer, a better homeowner. I can teach that. I tell my family about what I learned about when your carpets get wet, don't do this. (laughs) So, I mean, absolutely all of us have that opportunity. And I think that is how we change things, break generations of poverty, break generations of I'm not good enough. I'm not a fit. 
I can't do that. My family only does this. I can't go away to college. I can't move to a different city for a career that I'm excited about. Like you can. And that mentoring, the idea is someone can give you their honest, hopefully Mm -hmm. candid advice about what helped them and what hurt them. And from your lived experience, you can pay what works for you and kind of design your own path. Shout out to Mr. Gonzalez. And I, as you were talking about him, I was thinking so much about my own family and how there's those stories that exist for sure, where you're like, no, you're so talented. And they're like, me, no. And this, this humble and modestness that our community has and being able to Again, it's the uncharted territory, but being the person in your shoes, like Melissa, you're inspiring people to step into this whole different industry where they can elevate other voices. And I think that's in a weird way, our our community is so good at like hyping everyone else up, but themselves, like we're natural PR people. Absolutely. So that's exactly one of the columns I wrote for PRSA is called Rebranding Latino Leadership and PR. Mm. And one of it was to basically tell our other peers. So about 10.5% of Latinos last reported to work in public relations, then take half of that. And that's who are at the leadership levels in PR. Have I ever faced overt discrimination? No, not overt, but it's these little micro like aggressions or I don't understand you Mm -hmm. or don't you speak Spanish? Why don't you speak Spanish? Let's not even get into how my family was shamed out of speaking it, abused for speaking Mm -hmm. it. And now you want me to, right? And why don't you? So part of it was just to demystify who Latinos are, that we can practice English dominant (laughs) public relations. We can talk about things beyond ethnicity and culture There's no reason why we can't do all types of tech PR, science PR, product PR, whatever the heck it is. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of research I've done is that if you can figure out how to gain the hearts and excitement of Spanish speaking Mm. U.S. residents, it actually has a huge crossover effect across cultures because you're really trying harder to fit different needs, right? And show a lot of respect in that community. It's, It's super important. So I want to demystify who we are, but then also that we have the same capacity, if not in some ways more, to do well in our industries Mm -hmm. Um, because we're wired for connectedness. We're wired for PR relationships, for referrals, which which powers most businesses, right? And you had mentioned too, at least about what would it be like to live in easy mode? And I will own up that I think that a lot of us who come from when you're not the majority population or you're not of a majority population that is the most popular at the moment or revered, <laughs> right? Even think back of the high school days. Oh, Lord. Um, it, it's, it's harder. But I don't think anyone lives in easy mode. I think even those who are born into privilege and have whatever, no one's life's perfect and easy. And I think most people can relate on some point of suffering or hardship. I think. What we can do to use that adversity to connect with others and drive us to where we want to go instead of making it feel like it's weight and we're less than or shamed or embarrassed or when wait till they find out, right? Mm. It's more of a getting fired up about, okay, yeah, I have less, but this is where I have more. So I'm going to go further. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like you had mentioned your brother and just being naturally smart. One of my brothers is naturally very smart uh, and super charismatic (laughs) and was pretty darn cruel to me when I was growing up. So I would get all, and we would get in in tussles and things that I would waste them. I wouldn't let my kids fight today, (laughs) but he made me always, he always made me so angry and I wanted to beat him. I wanted, so I would read the books at his level and he was grades ahead of me, right? Just to show him I could. And so I, with that, I learned, oh, I actually have a natural capacity for school and getting the right grades at school when I put that effort in. And so I use that as both my gift and my responsibility. And whereas my brother, without that discipline, that gift doesn't go anywhere, right? Mm. So that's what saddens me too, is that I think if you have some capacity or gift, like use it for good and, and share what you've learned about that. Cause I, I think that's what really matters is too many people then in our community, we tend to be quieter. And I know there's a lot of reasons for that, but like you were saying is that for those of us who are brave enough, feel supported enough, or just darn angry enough to say, Hey, let's take up that space do it, please. Right. And then think about your responsibilities as that representative and use some PR principles so that when you're at that helm and you've got the mic, that you don't have character flaws or failures that then end up getting in your way personally and professionally. Because that's another thing, right? We see these leaders that get up to C-suite level and then crash their car and DWI Mm. or have crazy affairs (laughs) or steal money. And you're like, really? (laughs) Right, right. And you're, I love that you mentioned that no one lives life on easy mode because I think it's an easy comparison that you can have with folks that do have more. And I think one thing that I've realized meeting people who were very different than me grew up in different places, even if they were socioeconomically at a more privileged place than I grew up in, they had this different pressure of you grew up in a big house. If you end up not having anything more than this, like you're a failure. Like they have this extra pressure because they have people in their family who already did it and them navigating this territory of, okay, well, all my families are doctors, so I have to be a doctor and I can't fail at it. Like even learning about these different pressures that other folks have, it, I mean- I think it's worth mentioning too. We all have pressures that we go through and grow through. The first gen pressures is one that I think we can all relate to and all navigate together. But I love that you mentioned that because it is true. It's easy to get caught up in the comparison, but you never know. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going through something. Yeah. And and I also want to just highlight in terms of business owner, that seems to be another, or entrepreneur, right? A big, heavy adjective that people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could ever. And I especially want Latinas to consider trying to start their own business. If you are in a job that it's a toxic environment, it's not a fit for you, you're feeling beat up, you can spin off and consult and freelance until you find your next job if that's what you're more comfortable with. Yeah. But I think a lot of us are not we're not growing up in these families, so we don't know how to start a business or own a business. And like you said, there's no nice, clean, tidy guidebook. I mean, there's a lot of books, right? But a nice one meant for us with our understanding and experiences is really tough to come with. So we have to create our own and then share with our friends and family and help them understand. But 
I say try it. I mean, there's never been a better time to start up your own business. You can try it as a side to your full-time business. My first business was a photography business because I did love it and I had more to give than my full-time job at the time. And so that helped me learn and kind of training wheels on how to start a business. And as part of trying to have more integrity and autonomy of how I perform this very dynamic and fast paced and stressful work, I felt like I had to start my own business to create that environment where I could set up the right home office and work remotely unless it made a whole lot of sense to come in person when I cut off unnecessary red tape and time and water cooler meetings and you know what I mean? But it's not these big grand things. You can start it out of a home, right? Your brain and your knowledge and your experience and your hustle and what you're willing to bring to it, that can be transferred in a multitude of ways in a lot of different places and environments. So I want people to feel empowered that you don't have to have a lot of money to start your own business. You don't have to have a big office. You don't have to have employees, right? I'll be transparent. Everyone I work with on my team are experts of what they do or they're aspiring and they're learning and we're supporting them, but they're all contractors. You don't have to have all that risk if you don't want it. And so I'm happy to share with anyone, like, here's how I run my business. You don't have to do things the traditional way. There's a lot of ways that if you did it counterculturally from the what we hear in mainstream American type media, it's a lot better fit and it's a lot lower risk too. Can you give us some insight on your business, on your book, where we can find your business and your book? Give us all the tea on the yeah, businesswoman that is Melissa. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you. And again, it's kind of like the word mentor, right? I just, I'm stepping my way every day and how to be a business owner too, y'all. I think what I've learned is that my willingness to continue to learn and try and ask is um, that perseverance Mm. can be unique. And I want to give that to you all as well. But so my book is, and I brought it, yay, Smart Talk, Public Relations Essentials All Pros Should Know. And I underline and italicize all because this is for everyone. You won't even see my face on the cover because I didn't want all of a sudden, like you said, at least someone to look at it and say, that's not me. That's not for me. This is for anybody, right? And the mic idea is, hey, I'm passing the mic. I literally have in the book a lot of different, if you have a business or you are in marketing or running your own personal brand, like there's a lot of tips on how to be thoughtful and strategic and planful and put together a PR plan or a marketing comms plan or how to work with journalists or pitch a story idea. Sometimes as a business owner, like me working with you today, right? I ended up pitching you, but organically I did the work to be a fan and engage with you on LinkedIn and put in that time before I just threw out an ask. And that's really important. And I think we understand that in the Latino community, but I wanted to ground us in that here. So great timeless principles, but new ideas about how to integrate diversity, equity, inclusion type communication and principles in what we're doing so that we don't make unintentional mistakes Mm -hmm. as we have the opportunity to be on stage and grab that platform or put the power in publishing as we're doing Because every day we broadcast some message and I just want people to be more thoughtful about what that is and see if it can be positive and really help them meet their goals as well as their employer's goals too or organizational goals. So it's really for everyone. And I break down terminology so people know the what's what (laughs) of words because that matters in our space. And there's a diverse pro at the end of each chapter 
And I literally call it past the mic where I'm saying, well, what is your thought on this? And so that's my heart is that we're all having that opportunity to learn more and then pass the mic and make place for others so that we can grow together because we're just so much stronger as a community when we're sharing and working together like that. And I have to say, I read the book and I don't practice PR as a trade as much anymore, but I do it every day in other places and other, like you said, once you're in PR, you're always in PR. Like it's, I'm doing it now, doing it every single day. Right. So it's a really great book, especially as someone who's a creator, a writer, and is in this space. I think it's a very beautiful book. And I love the passing the mic part because it's like everyone can see themselves in a name, in a story, in a, an experience, in a tone. It's very beautiful and very intentional to go back to that word. Yeah, thank you. And and I do have a my boutique PR firm, MVW Communications. Really, we try to use public relations for social good. So we work with a lot of education clients across the country, nonprofits and for-profits who really want to make some kind of positive difference. Also available for coaching, consulting. You're like, where do I go with my career? And really trying to, what I wanted to do with the book is came out during the pandemic because I was really afraid that I could die, right? Any one of us could die with that COVID virus. And I wanted to make sure, hey, I need to scale all these lessons that I wish I had more time to mentor more people. But if what's a good way I could do that in case something happens, right? And so in part of my effort to be that trailblazer and really help those who want to know more or feel like they're missing something, so many journalists come into PR and realize, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was this broad. I didn't realize it have to do this part of the work. It's not just working with media. Like, no, it's not. And a lot of them, you know, feel like they're failing and leave. Mm. So I just wanted to make sure everyone felt empowered, invited, and equipped to consider the trade or intersect it with what they're doing professionally or personally so that they just have a, a better experience as they go forward. I love that you said, what is it? You're invited and equipped. You said another word before that. And empowered. Empowered, empowered. invited, and equipped. Oof, powerful. (laughs) Ooh, I just want to put that on a t-shirt. Thank you so so much, Melissa, for your story, for the time, for what you're creating and what you're putting out into the world. I want to close this beautiful conversation with the Vrindi, so I'm going to grab my coffee. And I want to ask you, what do you want to cheers to? And what do you want to manifest for our beautiful Latino community? I want to cheers to empowerment. And I want to manifest more courageous actions for our community. Salud. Cheers, PR queen. Thank you so much, Adelise. What a pleasure, privilege, and honor to be with you. And thank you for everything you're doing for our community to highlight us. Abrazos, abrazos. Y'all need to go to the show notes right now to connect with Melissa on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Twitter, everything, all of the above. I'm going to see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, go to Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram or find me on LinkedIn for more information. My website, odalisjasmine.com, has a little bit more insight for y'all. Y con mucho, mucho amor, tu amiga Andreña.